Hi, I'm Trudy Dempsey. Welcome to Lead a Horse to Water, the equine podcast for behaviour and training enthusiasts. You can find out more about me and how I could help you with your horse at equine.training. And you can find my online courses at understandhorses.com. My current instructor-led course has already started, but I will be opening it up later in the year. If you're interested, please do get in touch or sign up at Understand Horses to find out more. There are instructor-led and self-study courses already there, so do go along and have a look. On with the podcast. Today, I'm joined for a second time on the podcast by Claire Young. Claire is currently studying equine behaviour with the Natural Animal Centre and I'm very excited to tell you she has now been accepted on a master's course to study clinical animal behaviour at Edinburgh University. Claire cares for her horse Brie and her two cats and you can find her brilliant page Kindly Equine on both Facebook and Instagram. Claire is meticulous at setting up her learners for success and she strives to create comfortable and fun learning opportunities for them. You can hear more about Claire's journey to finding training solutions that suited her and her animals in episode 11. Welcome again, Claire. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, to be here. we did say at the end of our last one that we really um, didn't cover anywhere near <laughs> the topics that we had hoped to. And so in our last one, we ended up really focusing on how to find the support and, you know, how to get started and your own personal journey. So if anyone wants to hop back to episode 11 and listen to that, it's a it's a really nice uh, listen, I think. But I, I'm hoping that this time we can have a look at some of the practical elements that, you know, when you're a trainer who's new to these methods that you really want to be looking at. So do you want to start us off with maybe where you think you would like to start at the beginning and you know look at some of the more practical aspects where would you start if you were starting with a brand new horse today um so i would definitely start in protected contact um so for anyone that doesn't know what protected contact is that's just having a barrier of some kind between you and the learner that you're training um so a physical barrier um there's all sorts of different options out there. Um, be careful if you are, say, um, using a barrier such as electric fencing. Um, be aware of how your horse feels about that fencing anyway. Maybe um, using an area where you have some fencing up, but they know that it's not on in that case. Um, and they're more chilled out about that. Obviously, you've got different kind of options or just over a stable door, something like that. Or if you've got just post and rail fence, then brilliant. You can just train them over the fence in the paddock. But definitely definitely using protective contact is really important um and I didn't utilize it um in the beginning um and then I very much <laughs> started using it a lot um so it's really really good when you're first initially starting out because you want to um teach um the horse how to be calm around the food and know that um their default behavior can be just to stand in their own space keeping their head to themselves and then they start to learn through that repetition oh okay you know my trainer comes over and then gives me the food i don't have to go looking for it so the protective contact is really really good for in terms of if we think about guiding or errorless learning 
guiding the horse very clearly to that behavior of keeping their head to themselves um, because you've got that barrier in between them you know it's just this is my dance space that's your dance space kind of thing which is really really good but I think also it gives you a lot of um, benefit as well because it allows you to stand back and relax and observe what you're seeing um, if you're in with the horse immediately you don't know how that horse is going to react the very first time that you go in with your bucket of food or whatever it is or your little bum bag you don't know how it's going to react and you may find yourself in a situation where the horse is starting to step in front of you you know they they naturally investigate with their noses that's what they do that's how they are which we can you know really utilize to our advantage if we want to teach targeting and things like that but when we're first starting out we really want to teach them just wait in your own space you know be relaxed because we're going to give you clear guidance in what to do and then that's going to get the food reward. So yeah, the protected contact's really, really nice because you haven't got to worry about whatever that horse does that first time. You're safe, they're safe, and you have them. They're, they're instinctively going to want to come up to the fence. That's what they do. You know, if you think about what your horse already knows how to do, even before, you know, stuff as well that it knows how to do that isn't anything that's been formally trained horses know that if they're in a paddock they come up to the fence because there's often a human there that's going to do something with them yeah. whether that's going out and about or whether that's having some food or bringing some hay you know yeah. they're just they already know to go up to that fence yeah. so they can be there and they can't get past that and you can just see what you're you know, what is your horse doing and how can you therefore encourage it to be able to do the thing you're asking, which initially is to just keep in their space. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just really, really helpful in terms of you feeling that you can just take it slow and really just, you know, yeah. sort of it's just really I mean, I remember when I was first doing it and I was actually in the stable with the horse and I ended up just kind of bridging anything that wasn't mugging yeah which may be where you need to start initially yeah. however I would sort of say actually if you were the other side of that stable door then you can get well beyond bridging anything that isn't mugging because yeah. it's likely that that horse will inherently at some point put its head over the stable door in a nice central position and you're going to bridge that yeah um so yeah I think that's really really important and the, definitely there's a situation that comes to mind where it was kind of like <laughs> I was in the stable with this horse and they're just following me around yeah. and I'm going oh I need you to stand still yeah. would have been so much better if I'd started the other side <laughs> exactly and I think it's very difficult because when you see um trainers who have a lot more experience and they know that horse or they've got a good idea they're they're so quick into a shaping process and when you're new and i find this with a lot of new clients it's sort of managing you don't want to put the client off so i'm managing them so that they're still excited to go and train but you want them to have their boots in sinking sand that stops them moving too quickly but they really want to rush on and do everything and maybe we could just mention um how you would as you are the queen of setup um how you would set up 
that environment for the horse in terms of maybe having um, a hay net or water or something. If, you know, if you're going to be training in protected contact and you, you're able to offer those things. Yeah, definitely. I've always been, um, uh, I've had to factor in the time it takes to set up various things because it's always, it's not as simple as just bringing your horse into an area and starting to click and feed. So 100% you need to be thinking about, is there other food so that I'm not the only source of it? Which of course, if you're training in the paddock and it's nice spring grass, <laughs> then I'm sure you don't need to worry about that too much. Yeah. Um, I always try and offer, um, so Brie has um, her nice um, hay pillow um, and it's also a nice thing as well. She's always got that access to the forage. So I'm not the only, and I just train with sort of hay cobs um, so that, you know, she's always got food on offer. And also she's got something to go to and has something to do and engage with when we're then having a break yeah um so that she's not there desperate she you know she's got I I was very lucky actually that she just enjoys her hay pillow so much um which again is kind of thinking about how you offer the forage is there you know some horses really love it if it's in a hay play ball some are going to love it if it's actually just one big pile that they can just pop their head into and you know enjoy and also as well if they're you know ideally you're going to want the horse to be in its own space for the training so you haven't got to worry about other horses that's not always something that can happen when you're starting out but ideally (laughs) um and um so yeah thinking about how you can offer um their um get them involved in their natural behaviors in between the training is really really good so yeah yeah, I got really lucky with her because she just loves that hay pillow so I'd go off and have a little break yeah, and she just would go back to that hay yeah, pillow. Yeah. And, like, that's, and, I, that's so important, you know, and you know what I'm like, I'm always cheering when horses walk away from the learning. Not that I want them to walk away, but just the fact that they feel able to and that when you finish a mini session, that they're really happy to go off and go back to being themselves really quickly. I mean, that's a massive for me tick in the box. If your horse has been training, you take off your bag or put away your food or put your clicker down, whatever, and they actually disengage with the fence work or gate or whatever you've been doing, and they go off and do their own thing. It's like, yes, that's perfect. That's what we're looking for. Um, and I think that's that's difficult for people. But also, it's possible, isn't it, to just do a preference test. So you know, you know that Brie likes her hay pillow because over a period of time, you know what she likes. But you know, if people are uncertain what what rates with their horse, what how their horse would rate something against having the training moment with you, then you know, just trying some simple preference tests. So you put food out and see what your horse and to do it regularly because it does change. You know, you mentioned the spring grass, and obviously when the spring grass is out, things are very different. You know, I had a, a client on Friday, a lovely new client whose horse is being really fantastic about uh, protected contact and um, he's really engaged but not silly with it and then all of a sudden he realized there was a bit of new grass sprouting and we just went well take advantage so she went in while he was eating grass and just we're still sort of associating and making sure that we've got the chill behavior and did a couple of clicks alongside him and put the food down in the grass which he was happy to look for you know sometimes it is seeing those opportunities and just 
only a moment don't push it don't get the horse fed up with you hanging around with your clicker and food but you know it's just a moment so just having that ability to observe the protected contact just gives you that doesn't it so how long do you think i mean i can't you can't with every horse it's different but you know if you had um a horse that was adapting well to standing and relaxing and you saw that you were getting behavior maybe even thinking about putting it on cue and then sort of what would your next move be do you think from that point I think that um I when I first started using protected contact it was then kind of like the goal is to be out of protected contact and like sometimes protected contact can feel like you're maybe not doing very well <laughs> you still then, got the stabilizers on kind of yeah, thing yeah exactly yeah. but it's not <laughs> no it's not at all so um you know I've then really um quickly realized um that protective contact is something to consider in terms of um that guidance for the learner you you know it's not going to be like oh I don't need protective contact anymore because protective contact then becomes I mean say you want to look at mat work um a horse will instinctively again it's just used to following a person along a fence line so you can have a series of mats along the fence line but it rather than a mat just being in a big wide open space that and, and when we were t- we were talking earlier as well about different um thinking about the the animal and what it instinctively in terms of its ethology is likely to do and also in terms of knowing your horse and what things it knows how to do um a horse doesn't really have a particular relationship with a mat on the floor whereas when I train my cats um cats instinctively like to curl up um on anything that's square shaped <laughs> on the floor <laughs> that's just or the clean thing in the basket or whatever yeah, yeah exactly. but, but yeah but it's more of an instinctive thing to do exactly. than it is for horses yeah so whereas so making that connection with say mat training is much easier with the cats so how can you do that with a horse well you can have a situation where if you just got a couple of mats along the fence line oh the click actually happens when those depending on your kind of um, shaping and where you're at. No, and that's the kind of art of knowing when you can get a little bit more than you think and going up and down your kind of shaping ladder. But if it's one hoof, two hoofs, or initially even just pausing near the mat might be where you're at. Um, Protective contact can be brilliant for just creating that guidance and also really um, helping you as well be able to... um, get your timing right because you can you can observe your horse and sometimes as well if you're not in protective contact and if you're I mean ideally you want to be out of protected contact when you're in a situation where you've your horse starts to know to be in their own space and you can move around them and you know they they can move with you when that's what you're asking, but then they can stay in their own space when you're asking them to do that. But if you don't have that, then they can just be so close to you or, or you've got to be so close to them. Say if you're teaching um, initially a standstill and chill, then you know, you're know you not standing miles away from them. You're standing nice and close and you're looking at those little moments where you can move a little bit further, a little bit further and they know to stay where they are. It can be really hard to observe them up close because the observation about their um, 
emotional state um, and um, also as well kind of what behavior is likely to occur next kind of you want to observe the whole horse yeah that is <laughs> so, yeah it's so important and it's very difficult when the horse is on top of you 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 instinctively yourself get better at that I think when you're used to the training but at the beginning being in protected contact means that you're not panicking yeah okay you're probably still in stages where you should be stood in front of the mirror practicing your food delivery but you're not and and so it gives you a little bit of wiggle room to not make things you know awful absolutely and it can also give you know the horse when you need to just kind of pause and think about what you're doing and just remind yourself again of your criteria at each stage yeah. of the shaping process um your horse isn't going to just panic in this huge open space going what do I have to do it's probably going to be okay with having a little moment where it just waits at the fence yeah because it, it's part of what it, they it do. just gets yeah it just yeah. gets that in part of its life normally but I think also that you know people that think early on oh I want to be doing I don't want my horse standing still he's good at standing still that's all he ever does but the reality is that often the way a horse stands still isn't any use to you in a training situation you know they'll stand still with their buddies resting a hoof when there's nothing going on and they've eaten all the grass there is but if you're standing next to them with food on they're not used to relaxing in that situation so you know that's why we would refer to it say as a default behavior this going back to just calm stand still and so if you can get that calm patient waiting at the beginning later when you train the movement you've always got that that to come back to and then eventually you can move out of protected contact so if you move out of protected contact if it's say a gate that's quite you can easily slip in and slip back out again maybe the same with a fence but it's not necessarily for me I don't think ideal and my my favorite might be to have a series of cones and take cones gradually away so you might start at a gate or a fence and then moving on um so would you is that something you would consider using um a, what we'd call maybe a more temporary protected contact as your next step is that how you might move out of protected contact eventually yes I think it depends on how um comfortable the learner is with the behavior as to whether protected contact is something that you can move out of to um, perhaps benefit you in being able to get in there a little bit more and be able to start to teach them to obviously be calm and relaxed when there isn't a barrier between you um, or whether it's something that's still helping your horse so if I think about Brie um, we used protected contact um, to help with her leading um, so it's really, really common that a horse is anticipating that moment between you've, you've clicked and they know the food's coming. Often they're going to swing their bottoms out and they're going to turn themselves to face you. And this is also something as well that Brie would instinctively do when she was on the lead rope. Um, she just had struggled before with kind of being taught kind of exactly what to do when the lead rope is on and how to keep herself in that kind of parallel position. So the protected contact was really, really good because it was um, it was a guide for her to stay parallel to. And as long as I was as long as I was feeding quick enough before she turned 
herself around, then it just started to happen less. So she started to understand, oh yeah, I just stay parallel to the fence and we walk together. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was such a really, really, really good guide. But it was really interesting because I did, did then try um, some cones and I only had a certain amount of cones um, because um, uh, I don't rescue horses, but I rescue cones. <laughs> if, I, if I see a stray cone, then I'm like, oh, I'm having that one. So I've got a various random collection. Um, and um, so I only had so many and I wanted us to be able to walk far enough so that we we were already starting to build up quite a few steps between each click and treat when we were um, working between a fence line. So I spread the cones out quite a bit. Well, Bree just went through them. Like that was that first time I was like, oh, okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't translate to yeah. a barrier for you, you in yeah. the way that that fence line had. And we were we'd worked um, with, uh, because the, the actual fences in the paddock where we were at the time were quite high. So they were really difficult for me to be able to feed her cleanly. Mm. So we had worked with some fencing and some electric tape. Um, and she got used to, again, it was something that hadn't really generalized yet. We were initially just learning the behavior in this one environment because it also helped her know that that bit of electric fence was never on. <laughs> that bit was our training bit. So that was all good. Um, but yeah, it was, I kind of thought that the cones, I thought, because I was sort of thinking, right, how can we now slowly fade out the protected contact? Yeah. And um, yeah, bless her. <laughs> she just started she weaving the between yeah. these cones <laughs> to get the food. And I was like, this is completely not what I'm trying to teach you so I then moved to um the electric fence post but without the tape and I had them really close together because mm. I had a lot more of those um if I'd had the cones very close together she wouldn't have been able to go through them but then equally we would have really only got one step before we had to well, turn around yeah. again because I didn't have enough yeah so the, and then bit by bit I just started slowly removing some of the fence posts and it was really interesting how um she actually she didn't need that tape as a guide at all but what was really important was it working out what distance she could have between those mm, fence, posts, fence posts yeah and then really making it a priority to when we've been in um full protected contact I could get quite a few steps out of her but then when I was starting to fade it bringing my criteria down yeah. because actually it's a change in the environment for her so she's got to learn what's now still constant and what do I keep doing in this situation yeah. that makes the click and treat happen, happen. so yeah. I literally it was then just working with one step yeah um and um yeah just so that she can she can and then we um uh bless her we didn't get a huge amount further before I suffered my um, broken pelvis injury so yeah that was that um but it would have definitely been kind of just gradually fading that yeah. whereas with stand still and chill it was really interesting when we did stand still and chill with Brie because um when I first met you Trudy I was sharing um an ex-racer thoroughbred who um 
just didn't really do standing still that wasn't his thing (laughs) um so it was it was really like really high rate of reinforcement and really being close to him Mm. and then with Brie what we worked out is she actually really likes her space to eat her food yeah and I had to really get used to oh actually I haven't got to get going again yet she actually knows what to do with that pause and and so that's quite a good opportunity for us to get a little bit into that idea of of a rate of reinforcement so Mm -hmm. the number of reinforcements the number of clicks and and feed or or whatever your marker and food or scratch is because it's so different for every learner and you know we always quote Susan Friedman and the study of one but it though that one can be so different and you've seen that just with two horses um so Definitely. you know uh, one thing just to to finish with well we won't finish with protected contact because it's such a vast topic we could just talk for hours about the the things that you need to consider with that but yeah it's interesting that Brie selected in her environment what was important to her and that was the fence post and not actually the tape but you don't know that until you try things so anybody that's out there thinking yeah I've been working in protected contact and now I think I can get out there and do it don't assume that's always on my wheel of of errorless learning is is don't make don't have preconceived ideas about what what the horse is seeing and different horses see different things you know some horses would have gone oh yeah a cone I know I stay the other side of a cone some horses see a pole and know that they don't step over it or they do step over it so it's you know it's really hard you need to know what's relevant for your your animal your learner yes absolutely and that reminds me of a time where I put so much effort into this setup that I thought was going to really tick the boxes in terms of giving Brie loads of environmental guidance on what to do And um, so I had um, two poles to make a channel for her to walk down. And then I had um, uh, another two so that we could make like a circle with cones at the end so she could then target a cone. And I hadn't, if I had my time again, probably what I actually would have done first is just put some poles down and just watched her and see what she even did. Um, But I went straight in and whilst I think that planning and thinking about how to offer the right guidance so that we can reduce errors as much as possible is so so important sometimes there's actually like a lot that needs to happen before because I had never really like you know Brie isn't at that stage and neither am I where you know we um, go off and do fun things in the school or anything like that and and we work primarily um, with the positive reinforcement um, we use I use negative reinforcement with her as well I don't think you can I mean it depends but it's just appropriate for her sometimes which is even just a little bit of kind of can I just step towards you and I mean if I open the gate then she moves backwards she doesn't always initially but that pressure of the gate moves her back moves her back so we use it yeah it's Um, there but she doesn't have a, a repertoire of things that she's learned traditionally. So yeah. she's not a horse where we're already walking to and from a paddock or a stable. No. Um, we're not out and about riding. It's not something that no. we've used. So as poles, poles are just like 
nothing they're just something else in the environment that they don't mean anything to her absolutely nothing at all (laughs) but for for other people they can be fantastic you know if you're working along a line of fence and you put poles out as a guidance you know a meter or two away from that fence horses that are used to the information that poles give them will often step in that channel. But poor Bree, she exactly. had no idea. What is this pole you bring me? <laughs> no, exactly. And I hadn't, I'd seen some really like uh, good videos of where people had been using them to teach leading and to help mm. the horse not turn its hindquarters yeah. round. Yeah. And I'd also seen really, they can be really helpful when you're starting to work up towards things like trailer loading, because you can make a little, initially a small kind of box yeah. through the pole and the fence line. Yeah. They can be really, really good. But yeah, Brie was like, this means nothing to me. So yeah. she carried on turning herself around and just had to step over the poles to do it yeah. she had no sense of it being this channel at all <laughs> so again just kind of knowing what your horse is already doing Absolutely, in its environment yeah. when there's nothing you're not doing any formal training yeah I just would have I, I yeah because I, I put so much effort into setting up this environment that I thought gave her loads of guidance yeah and, and like, um, I had my husband there that day as well because I was like oh you could do a little bit of recording for me so I can watch it back <laughs> and this just it just failed completely and I realized oh actually we'd be all in that situation we actually would have done better with nothing nothing at yeah. all we would have done yeah. better with just a big space because yeah. that's where Brie was with things whereas with another horse um, that has been again depends sort of on what their history is maybe they've done plenty of leading through poles that might yeah. be something they're used to yeah but again if they've only ever been used to going over poles then, then yeah. it might not work either and are they on the ground or do they need to be raised up or is this actually something where I don't really need to think about that because that's just not going to help my horse in yeah. which case don't worry about it because yeah, absolutely yeah and um, people okay. shouldn't worry about any of this stuff because you know traditionally in negative reinforcement training people don't worry about anything bizarrely it's very strange we we have this way of training horses that's historical and people will tell you that you know oh the old horse guys they knew what they were doing and often they were were fantastic trainers they were they know when to put pressure on when to take it off and they're very clean and clear in it but the, the it's still the same for the majority of people. It's very messy. And so, you know, don't worry if you're thinking, oh, I'm doing positive reinforcement and it's way messier than my negative reinforcement. It isn't. You just weren't looking for the fallout because you didn't know it existed. But you you probably still had a horse that didn't understand your cues, that didn't do anything quite the way you thought you wanted them to do. And maybe you were having to bang away five times to get them to move off your legs. So, you know, it, it always looks like, sounds like positive reinforcement is so hard you know I have to learn all this new stuff but you know it was there in negative reinforcement we just didn't bother looking at it you know exactly uh, and there was also you know much people were more comfortable when you're using negative reinforcement with um the the kind of responsibility with for the outcome being on the horse on the horse yeah um and then there is then this kind of um shift with positive reinforcement because you're looking for behavior to occur that you can then add something to to reinforce it so people have to start thinking about environments um but so the the you know the responsibility more kind of shifts 
to you but yeah. like you say you're kind of like you're you're kind of moving to um a really kind of cool place anyway by just kind of giving it a try right yeah, <laughs> um, yeah because there is, there is a lot of yeah very very messy you know negative yeah. reinforcement I mean at some point we all sort of had to learn to ride and for a lot of us it's going to have been in a in a on a riding school horse and yeah. oh gosh <laughs> yeah we won't go there we'll exactly. forget that one for a moment so we're doing well yeah exactly <laughs> even so, if so, you're yeah. doing well we, even when Brie even looks when, at the polls and yeah. goes what? <laughs> what yeah absolutely so don't be afraid to try things guys but um let's so let's hop back to Uh, rates of reinforcement which as I said is all about how many times because people when you when I first go to see people for the first time and they go um, okay how do I start and they want to have a conversation at the gate in protected contact before they've started I'm like well first of all let's let's go somewhere else and talk where your horse isn't turning cartwheels to to know how it comes out of the bag and then finally we get back in front of the gate and they're waiting and I'm saying what are you waiting for and they're like I'm waiting for him to do something I like. I'm like, just give him some food and let's get started. And they're like, but no, he hasn't offered me anything I like. But no, but you, you're you in this kind of grey area where the horse doesn't know what they're doing and you're waiting for something that might not happen. So getting in there and getting punchy with, with a good rate of reinforcement to inform your horse is kind of frowned on in some positive reinforcement circles not the ones probably you and I hang around in because I think we're in similar sort of places and generally people have accepted that but how did you feel when or did you always feel comfortable with that high high level that high rate of reinforcement well when um the high rate of reinforcement for me um first was something that um I came to when we started working together I had literally I'd kind of so I was with this um horse that I was sharing and I'd literally just kind of um well I'd actually googled kind of like how can I ride a horse without kicking it and whipping it <laughs> and there'd been this thing and then I was like oh yeah and and that's clicker training that's what I do with my cats oh okay cool so I'd like literally I'd done kind of like one session where I'd kind of been like okay I've got some food in my pocket what happens and got mugged ridiculously um and have multiple horses as well and it was all just a bit of a disaster and um so I had um then Justine had recommended working with you um but I had also had some help well I'd invited along a, a someone a little bit more local to me as well and I was like well I've got to sort of see who I deal with and sort of um, and what I do um and there was for me being working with you and dramatically increasing the rate of reinforcement not in the sense of like you say not not by getting more kind of the horse to do more by get reinforcing the horse for just staying still (laughs) it was um it was a real relief it was like and it's also kind of like you can um you can do um so you're teaching so much when it feels like you're not teaching a lot which is really good for people when you're first starting out and you know time is a precious thing you've got loads of stuff going on isn't it really great that you can just do a little bit of work in protected contact literally just on if you're just you know got a nice relaxed posture 
your which initially you're probably not going to get again that's something you've then got to shape so that you're increasing the criteria so okay so we've learned that we can maybe keep our head to ourselves now I'm going to start only bridging and reinforcing when I'm seeing more signs of relaxation so just the head going maybe a little bit lower um, maybe just some of the tension in the face those sorts of things so that's also something you've got to shape and there's so much that can be done in that which in a way is really kind of great for when for a beginner because you actually haven't got to worry about loads of planning um you know your and your and your um the idea of errorist learning and um that guidance is actually coming out of your rate of reinforcement and also coming out of what you choose to feed um so i mean when i very first went in with um the horse i was sharing I had carrots in my pocket um not so good for, for creating relaxation and then I'd had another session like I say it was when we didn't use protected contact and I was in the stable with the horse and I was literally just bridging anything that wasn't mugging and that was actually bridging quite a lot of frustration which by using protected contact and sometimes not protected contact but then using that higher rate of reinforcement um and using a nice like a good kind of chaff or chop or something or um your horse will tell you kind of what's motivating and and that's a really good thing you can do as well is just set them up an environment where there's lots of different different foods to investigate and go and find to just watch them and watch how they react to things to find because your the food you use is is it creates that motivation um, and is so much part of the puzzle for the horse um, learning oh how do I get that that really high value thing and then there's also going to be times where like oh this is where I just get lots of really nice regular big handfuls of long chew food this makes me feel relaxed brilliant way to teach stand still and relax it's fantastic so I found it really quite relief to actually be told literally you can initially just kind of and it is a bit like shovel the food in um and I mean that's brilliant because obviously like before it was kind of like oh he's moving towards me before am I going to try and correct this and his frustrations increasing and also as well it's I mean again there's it gets talked about a lot as well with kind of um the dropping um Mm. that can happen obviously with and 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 the the horse I shared he was a gelding so it would be really quite obvious um and um I when that rate of reinforcement wasn't high enough that it was really obvious (laughs) that he was frustrated um so as soon as and and it was really interesting as well to kind of see how um uh how important it is to kind of reflect afterwards on um situations where then what rates of reinforcement you need when you're looking for different things and also what you're prioritizing and and I do think it's important to prioritize the relaxation because you can still you can have relaxation but you can also build initially external motivation that then becomes more intrinsic you can still have the two yeah you don't kind of need this yeah and I think as as well if you if you have um a nice slow chew food you after that first couple of handfuls and I remember working with this with with that gelding with you and 
you know, they do, they get little hamster chops. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm quite full. And it is important to have fresh water available should they want to obviously go off and, and drink at that point. But there is that sort of, oh, I've, I've got food in my mouth. I'm comfortable. And that's when you start to see those little gaps appear that you can lower your rate of reinforcement. But it's really hard to get that across at the beginning. And all it looks like is you are just shoveling food in. But very quickly, you're not. And you're you're building, I always call it the blue tack effect, you know, so that you're you're gently pushing that blue tack out into a bigger mass. But if you pull too quickly, poof, it's gone, it's broken. And so that and, and that's it's really hard at the beginning to understand that a couple of sessions like that with a super high rate, with a slow chew, like, you know, the chaff, um, save your carrot or apple for later when you want maybe movement or you're looking for, you know, the beginnings of some more um you know, finessed work with your dressage or something, because then you want lots of behavior very quickly and you do want a high rate of reinforcement, but for different reasons to the the standing calm at the beginning. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I asked in my little alumni group, didn't I, if anyone had any questions and Suze, you know, that's the one thing that she says, Suze has been on the podcast herself, you know, that in those early days, she wished she'd known how, how micro shaping worked, how those little tiny and that that high rate of reinforcement allows you that ability. So instead of big chunks of shaping, we're looking, we're digging down into tiny, tiny, fine slicing. And I think it's important for people to realize the minute they swap over from this is associating the clicker, click equals food, here you go, that that within maybe 10 of those, the horse, you're into operant and the horse is already understanding that it's doing something to get the food. And you've got to be on the ball there. And very often we're not observing at that point. If we're new, we're not seeing the behavior. So we're not seeing standing square. You know, as Sue says, it would have been a lot easier if right at the beginning, because she liked to do dressage with her horses, ultimately, um, that her horses were knew that standing still was square. But it's really hard when you begin. And I know you feel this, you know, when you begin, you don't know what you didn't know. So you know, hopefully some of this information we're, we're getting out there is going to help people who are starting out to avoid some of those mistakes. But it, it is hard, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think um, knowing as well, thinking longer term, what your criteria are going to be is really important because with Brie, I don't mind if her stands until is a bit she's a bit bless her she um she always stands a bit strange anyway <laughs> she's that she finds that as well something that's been interesting with helping her um lift her feet for trimming is she needs a lot of guidance in where to put her weight to allow her to lift a leg She's always kind of a little bit kind of confused, whereas other horses will quickly shuffle into the position they need to be so they can offer you the leg. Whereas Brie can get really like, I'd, what? <laughs> she yeah. just kind of doesn't get that. So her stand still, if I wanted to shape it to be a really square, all feet on the floor, it would need a lot of really 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 gradual shaping and just 
reinforcing those slight little changes in a little bit more kind of her realizing oh yes all four feet um it would take a long time and if I wanted to do dressage with her it would be really important and I'd be more motivated if I'd actually thought long term if I do the work That's now to do, then yeah. I've got less to undo later absolutely um, yeah but um I mean, hairy cobs can do dressage. Of course. And, However, and also in the future, you, <laughs> you can easily, you, you can train a new halt that is not a standstill and relax. It is a, I'm here, I'm standing up, look at me, halt. You know, exactly. so don't anyone despair. If you train something you accidentally did and didn't really mean to train it in that way, you know, there is room for maneuvering later but it is an interesting point that if you have a clue where you're going if you want your horse to stand still on a trailer for instance or tied up to a trailer when you're at a show that might inform you as to what behavior you want to look for in your relaxed standing still if you go to the pub and want to tie up outside and go and get your pint that that might inform you as well so it's just yeah knowing what you want to train for relaxed exactly. waiting around is yeah. is important yeah yeah and then that informs what you do at the beginning and then with brie you know our kind of aspirations, I don't know what her aspirations are, um, probably to just always have friends of freedom and forage, which fair play to her. But my kind of aspirations for us is just to be able to kind of go out and about and explore a little bit in hand, um, you know, go and sort of just take a walk in hand and find delicious hedgerows will be awesome and then we'll do some work as well maybe a little bit in the arena we might like do a little bit of kind of like agility stuff but whenever I don't I don't have any um desire personally to do anything that's you know I'm never going to do any competitions or anything like that it's just not it's just not me so therefore it means that there's things that I haven't got to really worry about if I can have lower criteria on some things because it's just a little bit more of a kind of functional I really just need you to stand there and not panic while I go and get something from over somewhere else yeah absolutely yeah or I just need you to stand still while you're yeah or while your feet are being doing done or like brush Um, your tail or whatever so it doesn't really matter as much no kind of the form of how she stands is not the the thing you're really really exactly I'm interested in how she feels about it now everyone needs to be interested in how their horse feels about what they're doing because they need to make sure their horse feels good about it however I can kind of stop there with the standstill and chill as long as you are literally staying in yeah, a place that's, that's and you're happy about yeah. it and we you're not can move on after um, the food and yeah exactly. so I think um I don't want to go too much deeper into rates of reinforcement because I think we will cover that at other times you know um and not fill up just one episode with it but just to make people aware that you do come out of those high rates of reinforcement and that as you said brie was very different to the gelding you were working with and so to spot that in your own horse so you know don't just assume everyone that a high rate of reinforcement is for every horse but if you're seeing those behaviors in between your your clicks or your bridges that you're not wanting to see that you hadn't expected to be there that's the kind of 
indicator that your horse is having a bit of a struggle and maybe you could go back and you know give them more information by by upping that rate of reinforcement and and before we go off it completely can we give people an idea and I know you have a super big bag to put your chaff in (laughs) can we give people an idea how much they might use in a say a five minute session that could be two separate little sessions within that because I think people don't understand this I think when they think high rate of reinforcement they go out with 20 nuts in their pocket uh, you know hay cobs whatever and they think that might be quite a lot of food yeah exactly um it 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 depends as well in terms of so I very much first started out with the standstill and chill exercise which is where um uh I want the high rate of reinforcement with minimal calories because I have a chunky cob yeah good point as well yeah yeah (laughs) um and then and I oh oh my goodness I mean I have experience kind of you know being an owner that's trying to get her horse that came to her overweight to lose weight and people see me filling up my bag to go and do my training. I'm sure they think it's, you know, so, um, but also then there may be times where actually you want to feed something that's actually a slightly, um, not as long a chew, um, but you want to keep the rate high. So like with leading, I actually kind of want to get that sense of that momentum going and, you know, we're moving to the next thing, we're moving to the next one, we're moving to the next one. So for that, I tend to use hay pellets um, because I can just easily give a, a handful and I can easily change how much I'm giving. And, you know, I can have just like, just as she sort of, she's still got a little bit left. She's still got a little bit of a chew. So she's not going to start panicking about, about what to do next. She just starts to look in my direction to go, I might be ready for another cue. Let's go. That's really brilliant. Whereas when I'm teaching her to stand still and relax, big chaff, quite, I I do, I like it to be um, sort of wet enough as well. Otherwise, otherwise the wind blows it away. And it's literally like, um, you know, like five pound notes being blown away in the wind. I'm like, no, come back. It's (laughs) Um, so, um, so yeah, so I really like a chaff for that. And then I can just, I mean, the thing with Brie, is and the thing that you've had to coach me on is waiting for her to be ready because I was so used to like if I didn't get in there and feed before the movement had happened then the movement had happened Happened, and I'd lost my standstill and chill so I've had to really really adjust um but with Brie I mean if it's chaff then we are talking um like um a good a good maybe like four of the kind of stub scoops going into my bag um and it's a really interesting thing as well because sometimes if we have too much food on us then it can encourage us to go on for too long and then the learning's kind of gone stale it's kind of like actually do you know what quit while you're ahead yeah they're left with that oh that's what I did to make that happen and they're ready to repeat it next time you come but I've had lots of times where when I had too small a bag I actually just was like oh I've run out (laughs) and when you're a beginner you might not realize as well because you're really trying to focus on what your horse is doing and then you don't realize so I think you know that and there's never you know there's never any problems 
like I think you can kind of be a bit more you can encourage yourself in terms of keeping a session short in other ways it's never a bad thing to just be able to get a massive handful of chaff and just scatter it scatter for her it, to yeah. then enjoy yeah. and again give her something to do in that micro break yeah, as well absolutely um, yeah so so yeah no we we are talking quite a lot quite a lot <laughs> so it's, it's about being prepared with enough maybe thinking of setting a timer on your phone or asking somebody to watch you and make yeah. sure that you don't go on too long it's about not putting your hand in the bag and realizing you just gave your last handful away and you yeah. have nothing left so <laughs> maybe having something in the back pocket a couple of nuts or something to throw in and and so you can go and reload so it's a little bit of planning and it's a little bit of common sense to keep all that yeah which is fantastic so definitely could, could we have a little look so that we cover a few bases here i think this probably will be the final sort of area to look at but uh, if we talk a little bit about criteria how you might choose them and I've mentioned a little bit about micro shaping as well as kind of regular shaping and and you know how how as a beginner how do we tackle that that's quite a lot of information for people because you know we just get on in negative reinforcement kick the horse and it goes or we think it does but it doesn't but you know if anyone wants to have that conversation um I'd love to have it but um yeah how, so where do we go from uh, from standstill and chill being all relaxed and then how do we start to think about a criteria where we're going next um yeah how easy is that I think um the um I think the the goal behaviours that you want have got to be informed by thinking about what your you and your horse need to do um, on a daily basis. Um, and also, you know, what your longer term aspirations are. So that's going to create your, your goal behaviours. And then in terms of breaking them down into the criteria that you're then going to bridge and reinforce, um, I personally think it's always better to have gone really really small <laughs> in terms of finding clickable criteria um clickable bridgeable um yeah. when i say clickable because actually with Bria, i don't use a clicker um but it's always i think helps me to be like even if it, sometimes it's frustrating because it's like oh i did like a really 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 kind of like you say micro shaping kind of plan um you know, really looking for the tiniest little thing. Like, like I started teaching Brie to be able to um, come to her name when she was called. Um, and I had really broken it down into like initially, maybe just the ear or the eye looks at me and shows something. I did this like super shaping plan. Um, and um, actually, I kind of, that's an exercise where I didn't really need to do because actually yeah. if I just thought a bit about more of the observation, it's kind of like we've been doing positive reinforcement for quite a long time. So generally speaking, if I come into her environment, she's she's, she's over. Like, yeah. Hi. <laughs> so really, I'm just kind of actually looking more at being able to build duration in the sense of yeah. me being further away from her. Yeah. So I didn't really need to do it. However, I'd always rather of thought through and have the tiny things that yeah. I can bridge rather than have gone in there and gone oh I thought this behavior was going to happen and it's just not what do I do yeah um so and and definitely um with um the gelding that I started off with I mean that was such 
the criteria were tiny initially because it was literally just kind of a, a like finish the chew and have a micro pause. I'm going to reinforce that. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas then with Brie, um, the, like the finish the chew, she's then kind of like, I've got to think about my next move in life. Yeah. She's so kind of like, this is going to take me a while. while yeah. So you can draw it out a lot more a lot, and a lot quicker yeah. with her. But I would rather have in my mind, like the really micro thing. Can I, yeah. can I actually bridge that the criteria initially is just maybe it's a, maybe for movement, it's just a weight shift or yeah. it's just a kind of, um, because because with Brie actually shaping movements quite difficult um shaping standing still is much easier um and um shaping any movement as well like we'll be a long way off adding any kind of cue because I'm a long way off getting kind of energy that I want because she's just bless her I mean she often moves around like um if you compared it to a human like she's got a bit of a hangover bless her she's just like I'm so chilled out so um it's kind of um with the movement stuff I need to know I really need to really know what those tiny criteria are which is maybe just an essence of her showing me I'm thinking about maybe going forwards yeah (laughs) I'm going to yeah. bridge that. <laughs> and and honestly, that. I found that particularly with my two dogs. So I've got a Cocker Spaniel who's your typical, the gelding that you used to work with. And I've got a Yorkshire Terrier who is just like Brie. It's like he knows to lie down on his mat. That's cued by the, a certain mat coming out. And he'll like stand on it and look at you and stand on it. And, and the latency isn't very good, but heck, I don't care because I don't need to do anything with it. I just need to be able to start to you know work on cooperative care with, with the things that I do with him. But the difference, the Spaniel is like, you know, how, how much, how big, how many times, how far, you know, can I do it on my head? She's just offering all those things. And so for each learner, you're looking at, how can I reduce the anxiety? Is there anxiety through offering too much or is there anxiety showing because you're not seeing behavior? Is your horse anxious and therefore not offering behavior because they're not sure about it? So there's lots of options. And again, we can we can look at those potentially in um, in another podcast at some point. And yeah, it's going to take me years. I can't give up. Can't retire yet. Um, <laughs> but but so picking your criteria is important, and then writing a shaping plan, even if you chuck it out the minute you get in the training arena, because it it goes better than you planned, is not a bad thing. No, I don't think okay. it's a bad thing at all. Because and you also may find on another day that you actually need that lower criteria yeah there can be all sorts of things that you just can't predict yeah um and your horse might really kind of you know you don't in sort of even if your horses are actually like on your doorstep you don't know what's been going on for them so you don't and and that's where just that kind of like observation is so important and it's the it's the setting of um of the of the criteria and I would like I say I would always rather have a really 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 thin sliced shaping plan 
than having two big steps because I'd rather be able to go oh brilliant we don't need those ones yeah. than be left going oh I don't know I don't know what to actually bridge here yeah. <laughs> um yeah. so so yeah and I think yeah you always may find that you then need it and also you may find as well that then um you know your kind of journey that you kind of go on when you start using positive reinforcement you may then I've kind of had situations where then maybe someone else has asked me a little bit about you know oh could I do that a bit with my horse or you know can you help me a bit with that and so there'll be there'll be friends at the yard and things or or maybe you're you know working with someone else's horse a little bit there's always going to be times that you probably need that so I think if in doubt break it down into tiny 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 steps yeah. and you know yeah actually give you like celebrate if you get to actually skip the first 10 (laughs) exactly yeah but be aware that it can be also something that you you might end up doing and and bring it on if you do and if not well whatever um the other thing I know that I just wanted to touch on because of Brie because your situation I know when you first got into it you probably thought why me why have I got this horse that finds it hard to lead you know she came with quite a lot of previous baggage um nice baggage because she's a lovely girl but you know things that she struggled with and so for you you were torn between I need to do exercise she needs to do exercise I don't but I'll be doing it too and but um I'm not in a place yet where I can just put her on a lead rope and take her out because she has problems with that and I think a lot of people are in that situation now in I was just quickly looking up it was episode seven with Dorothy Heffernan um, Dr. Dorothy Heffernan talked a little about because that was one of the questions I know I got asked uh, by Julia. You know, she has an EMS horse and exercise is super important. But with positive reinforcement, we believe in having a gentle, progressive training protocol, which exercise might not feature highly on. So I know my thoughts and I know you know my thoughts, but you know, perhaps we can talk a little bit about is it ethical to go back to some negative reinforcement to encourage movement in your horse? Are there other ways that you can encourage movement in your horse before they're quite there in the positive reinforcement training? And should we worry about it too much? Um, I think um, that we should think about it a lot. (laughs) Um, I think um, there isn't really... I mean, I found that um, the kind of um, the solution for Brie has been one um, that has been challenging to achieve um, and at times has also involved some thinking around, you know, are my plans and things I wanted actually best for her and do I need to adjust things? So with... Uh, obviously in terms of the weight loss so she came to me really overweight um I um got her um scanned she if she was pregnant um because she was carrying so much weight um and before um I got her I was like well I don't really want to have two (laughs) um so um and um and yes I was I was told yeah your your horse is not pregnant your horse is just fat um and um she um had a background in 
when it comes to in-hand work and her leading, she had a background in natural horsemanship because her leading had always been something that she struggled with. Um, she can um, lead beautifully on some days and then other days she doesn't want to be led at all. So she'll just walk off. <laughs> um, so um, she had natural horsemanship and Pirelli have been used um, to create compliance um, with her. Um, but I it had added um, to um, the fear element for her. Um, so like, for example, um, Brie is whether you're whether you're leading her um using positive reinforcement or whether you're going to use some gentle um uh pressure release um negative reinforcement removal reinforcement sort of however you want to think of it um she will do um a lot lot better um if her lead rope isn't clicked on clipped on if it's just looped through because when it this is my guess um, is that when it's clipped on um, in Pirelli, there's a lot of that jangling of of the clip of the lead rope onto the um, uh, rope halter to to get them to to move away from the pressure. So um, with the positive reinforcement, actually clipping on is fine um, as long as we are working within the realms of what she understands how to do, um, which is not going out and about on a long walk it is literally a working in the protected contact um so um ethically i was left with basically the vet was sort of like you need to lunch her twice a day and you need to be going out on in hand walks um she i would need to um take a lot of time and do a lot of work with her in order to use negative reinforcement in a way that I felt is healthy for her um I think um I I did I did put a rope halter on her and her eyes just went well I saw the whites of her eyes um just by putting it on <laughs> um and I personally don't think that that is ethical um to then go down that path in order to achieve weight loss um, yeah. I also think then further down the line, I'd have even more um, challenges to unravel. Yeah, and I didn't want for that sure. for her for the rest of her life. Um, yeah. And also, if I thought if I thought that it was, if I got to the point where I thought it's so important that she loses weight, and I think the only way to do it is to use the natural horsemanship system that she was previously educated in, then I'd be the wrong owner for her. I'm not going to do it. Um, and I'm also terrible at it. I wouldn't know what I'm just doing anyway. Um, and then, so if I was going to look at using negative reinforcement, say perhaps to lunch her, um, it would be starting from the very basics again. Because initially, if you put her on a lunch line, then she's like, okay, well, that's fine. But she doesn't understand how to go around in a circle um, to just the lightest of pressure. She doesn't understand that. Um, she hadn't had, I mean, she, she had she had been um backed so she'd had some ridden experience but it, she'd then just been um out in the field for like two years so mm -hmm. that was really kind of it wasn't a case of oh you know just pop a bridle on to give you more control and it wasn't really going to work like that um so for me the answer and something that I held off on for a really long time because 
primarily because and this is the realities of it is because of the cost <laughs> um I it was then when I had my injury to my pelvis that meant at the moment I can't look after her so I had to look at full livery options and the only kind of full livery I wanted to fork out for was um full track livery um and actually it's one of those things where bef- in the, in the past I sort of um couldn't really feel I could justify it and often you compare it to as well what other horses are having and I mean obviously she wasn't um uh stuck in a a stable all day with a tiny bit of um she wasn't an individual turnout or anything so I kind of felt like I was already kind of winning and doing really well for her um but actually now that so while I'm recovering she's at, at horse haven and um I absolutely incredible and yes it is difficult you have to adjust some things they are the kind of like realities of it um but but I think that's what actually that's what's ethical to do and it means that her exercise is all now entirely out of born out of what she would do naturally (laughs) Um, so she marches herself around the track because she wants to go and find the yummiest hedgerows yeah exactly Um, yeah and that exercise I mean she she is looking so trim and she only has positive reinforcement so actually yeah she's not she's not the kind of horse yet where we can we can use take her any out yeah. for a walk unless yeah. we use methods that yeah, I just don't think you, are and worth you wouldn't doing. feel safe with those because you know that she can decide she's going the other way and she's off but I I would stress for people who have horses who are beautifully trained who accept very quiet touch gentle touch pressure whatever you want to call it but but negative reinforcement have been trained that way if you have got a problem with exercise and that the you know welfare considerations suggest that you should keep your horse going you know there are it's a sliding scale isn't it for brie it's using anything that positive reinforcement with you is not going to work and right at the top end of the scale there is a fair amount of negative reinforcement that could be used relatively kindly and quietly to keep that horse fit and able. Um, and they've got so many metabolic problems that require you know, movement now. Um, so it's just finding where your learner is and, and whether ethically it's a consideration that you can think about. But thanks. I know it's quite painful to talk about that because, you know, it's not where we want to find ourselves, especially as as a relatively new horse owner. And we should state always, and I recorded a a, a specific issue for um, a specific um, podcast for this. I think it's number 10. Yeah, episode 10, where you can think about when you're listening to it is that is your horse telling you they've got a medical condition or are they in pain or are they stressed about something so we're not going to go into it on every single podcast but that goes through our minds all the time is my horse trying to tell me something by their behavior that they are not coping with this for a reason other than just behavior so um pop back and listen to that to anyone who feels that they need that on episode 10 so yeah i think that that's really nice and I i have no idea um how long we've been going probably quite a long time but I would love to round up and it's really hard to pick one thing, but what would be the one thing if you were able to go back to you um, 
when you first started with positive reinforcement, what would you tell yourself that you now know so far down the road? What would you tell the newbie Claire? Pay attention to this because it matters. Um, I would, um, for the kind of, for those of us that kind of just need that practical thing, then I would say utilize protected contact um, and observe your horse when they are in some form of protected contact without you training them in order to see what behaviors they automatically offer. Are they behaviors that you want to see more of? Um, in which case, bring that into your training. Um, and I think that's incredibly important. For the slightly, it's less appealing because it's not a practical thing in such a way. And, it, and it's sometimes a really hard thing to consider. But for me and Brie, getting her onto a track environment at the moment because of her weight but just a really enriched environment where there's um a, a relatively large group of horses so that they can choose who they want to spend their time with um I oh that is just so so important and it's a difficult one because it's not always easy to achieve and sometimes it involves thinking about some perhaps some more difficult things which I think is really really challenging yeah. um but yeah I literally um the um Larry sent me some videos of the training that she's been doing with Brie while I'm not well and this horse is now so relaxed that she can she can also cope as well with some of the mistakes you might make as a newbie. Um, she's not because she's just like she's got so much more room in her kind of emotional space to take on um, some things that are challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's yeah, Fantastic. she's just whereas yeah. um, in the in the past, um, even with I mean, she's always had the friends read and forage aspect and obviously I know that some horses don't have that she did have time when she was on box rest but um she 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 just couldn't she couldn't bring as much to the training um and particularly when you're training with food relaxation is really really something that you want yeah, to see but massive. also is also something that is just right for your horse I mean we yeah. know that we feel good relaxation is a good thing exactly so, yeah, yeah thinking yeah. about thinking about that environment when you're not with them but then yeah. also your environment when you're training with them and and yeah utilize a bit of protective contact but yeah. know whether kind of see if they understand the protective contact because yeah. like I say when I tried the cones was you just you know would have been great for agility but that's not what I was trying to teach <laughs> oh I think that's fantastic it's a great point to leave it environment as always rules um, I think more of us are getting aware of it, but it is so important, you know, when you stick your horse out for an hour's turnout over winter, if you're lucky, in a muddy field, and then people wonder why their horse is bucking and rearing and not really enjoying life. You know, it's that environment when you're not with them for the 23 hours that you're not able to be riding or grooming them um, that is important as well letting them lead their best lives possible absolutely so. and that's the all of that is the antecedents to your training as well absolutely it's and we forget that chain for yeah <laughs> we we forget that we just think about the training in isolation it's all operant it's all about clicker training but it isn't you know it, it's it's so so much more uh, well thank you claire again um and i hope you'll come on again soon and talk about other things because it's really so lovely to talk to you and get your um, 
slant on things because it's yeah it can be a bit lonely just talking to myself and and (laughs) it's great having you to talk to so thank you so much see you soon see you soon Thanks for listening in to Leader Horse to Water. It's been great to have you along. If you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, drop me a message, find me on Facebook at Leader Horse to Water. And don't forget, follow us on your favourite platform for listening so that you don't miss an episode. See you again soon.